Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, before we begin, I just would like to mention that uh, tonight and tomorrow is um, my father's fourth yard site. Um, he passed away on uh, tomorrow, which is Tetvav uh, Tammuz. Um, and so I would like to dedicate uh, today's shiur to, to his memory, uh, to my father, Harav Yom Tov Moshe, um, Ben Chaim Uzalata, Yehizichro um, Baruch. That particular weekend, outside of the fact, of course, that for all of, of us that observe a family yort site of any sort, know that it is always etched in our minds and in our, in our memories. Um, for me and my wife in particular, it was quite a whirlwind of a weekend beyond the normal whirlwind of losing a parent and burying a parent and sitting Shiva and then getting up from Shiva and trying somehow for the next several years to resume some semblance of normalcy again, which never really fully sets in, and it shouldn't, and we all know that. Um, but aside from that, that weekend was supposed to be the weekend prior to um, our Aliyah, meaning my wife and my Aliyah. And um, we were supposed to be making Aliyah the following Tuesday uh, from the states from New Jersey. In fact, however, obviously HaKadosh Baruch Hu had different plans in mind, or my father, I suppose, on some level, even though he was no longer communicating for quite some time, perhaps he had other ideas in mind, and he decided that, decided that this was indeed the right time for him to, to meet his maker, as it were. And so we needed to put our plans on hold just by a week. In other words, my father passed away that year. Tetvav Tammuz was on a, was on a Thursday. Um, we flew, meaning my wife and I, my brother, his wife, um, another brother, those the three of us who were still living in the States at that time, flew to Eretz Israel uh, to bury our father on uh, to bury our father on Friday. Um, my dear mother and father had already made Aliyah going way, way back, almost 23 years prior to, I believe, to 1996, the end of 1996. So it was my mother, it was us children, and then, of course, the other two siblings of mine and their families that live here in Eretz Israel. And so we, uh, the, the Kavura was on uh, Friday, um, Erev Shabbat, we spent um, Shabbat, of course, together as a family, which was technically Shiva Asar B'Tammuz, observed Shiva Asar B'Tammuz on Motsash and Sunday, as we all did, and we sat Shiva that week. And throughout that week, people were asking me and or my wife, when are we making Aliyah? Or what is our Aliyah date? And my answer was, that's a very interesting and very good question. Now, we had already known um, that uh, thanks to our rep at, um, at um, at Nefesh Benefesh, that um, everything was set. He had arranged everything for us um, before we left the States even. Um, he put things on hold and made arrangements for us to make Aliyah exactly one week later than we were supposed to. So we were supposed to make Aliyah the Tuesday of Shiva. Instead, my wife and I, we all got up from Shiva on Thursday morning, a week after my father passed, of course. My wife and I flew back to the States on Thursday night to finish up odds and ends in uh, New Jersey. And then um, we, we made Aliyah uh, the following Tuesday. So that's a day that's always going to be etched um, in my mind, of course, in my memory. Um, and speaking of Aliyah, and I already mentioned that my parents made Aliyah way back in uh, 19... 
96. You know you're getting older, by the way, when you say, when you use the words way back in 1996 in the same sentence, or you're listening to music, to popular music on the radio, and they're talking about oldies, and the oldies music is from the 1990s and the 2000s. And at some point you realize, wait a second, when, when did I become old myself? But in any event, um, the idea, of course, of my parents making Aliyah, my wife and I making Aliyah, two siblings decades before, before my wife and I did, um, it all really goes back to, to how we were raised. My father, if I may just spend just a few minutes talking about him and my mother, if it's okay with you, um, and please indulge me even if it's not, um, just to speak about my father and mother for a few minutes. Uh, my father was a, uh, a member of B'nai Akiva before it was B'nai Akiva, when it was known as Shomer Hadati. There was no yet B'nai Akiva yet, it was the precursor. He was very involved. He was what is called, for those of us not familiar, a Rosh Mosh, meaning the head counselor of Kat Mosheva, um, the only one that existed in the States at the time, I believe, at uh, the ripe old age of age 17. And the way my father tells it, every single one of the staff members, that means everybody that worked for him was older than he was. Of course, he was only 17. Um, and my parents together created my, my grandfather, Zal, my mother's father, Harav Abraham Bukhspan, um, and mother were also very much Eretz Yisrael oriented, very much um, Tzioni oriented. And together they created a family and really a kehillah in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where my father and mother were the rabbi in Rebetzin for 35 years, that became very much um, Zionist, good morning, Zionist and Eretz Israel oriented, thanks to my parents, um, to my father Zal and my mother, may she be well. Um, they sent us through the Kat Mosheva system, raised us in Bnei Akiva, uh, coming to Eretz Israel for a year after high school, uh, while it wasn't as popular then as it is today, um, was simply a no-brainer, not that they had to convince any of us to go. We were just raised assuming that that's what we, each of us, each of us five children would do after high school. So we each came for our respective year after high school to learn in yeshiva or midrashah. I personally spent two years um, or one and a half years in uh, yeshiva Sha'alvim, And it was just a question of time as to when I would end up making aliyah, just like at least so far three of us out of, out of five of us uh, siblings. It was simply a no-brainer. Uh, being that this is um, Shiva Asar Bitam, uh, the week of Shiva Asar Bitamuz, what greater antidote, what greater answer is there to this date, to the ensuing three weeks, and to um, tisha, culminating in Tisha B'Av, than to actually pick up and move to Eretz Israel yourself? So I'm saying that not just because my wife and I made Aliyah literally this time of year, but um, I'm also stating it as a kudos to all of us that have chosen to make Aliyah and to live um, in Eretz Israel. We all know that it's not necessarily the easiest shift that one can make, but as I tell everybody that I speak to, for me just waking up every morning, looking out my bedroom window and knowing we're here, there's really nothing else that needs to enter the picture. There can simply be no greater bracha. With that in mind, we will now shift to um, Shiva Asar B'Tamuz, and to Tish Abba'av. And as you see on your source sheet, I labeled uh, today's shiur uh, the function of fasting. For those of you that know me by now, listen to my shurim on YouTube, if you do, whatever it may be, or here at the OU Archives, um, you know that I like to go for the alliteration, and that's the best that I could do for this morning. I'll probably change the title to a better one at some date. If you have any ideas, just let me know after the shiur, but let's stick with the, with the alliteration theme. I'm sure that there are plenty of presenters that are giving classes here at the OU on this very topic, 
um, this week at the risk of, and the next few weeks, but at the risk of being redundant um, and hopefully with somewhat of a different twist, um, I really did wish to spend some time with this particular topic. We all know, of course, that Shiva Sarvet Tammuz, and then three weeks later, Tish um, Abaav, and this entire uh, three-week period, known also as Bein Hametzarim, literally between the the straits, S T R A I T S, I believe, uh, between the straits, between the or between the narrow passages, meaning this very difficult time of year, um, is in commemoration of the loss of both our Batei Mikdash, the first and second Beit Hamikdash. That's something that is quite well known. There is much more to the story. We will go through a Mishnah in which we will see, and you may be familiar with it already, um, which lists by that time, that means by the time that the Mishnah was redacted, five major tragedies, or considered major enough to be incorporated in this Mishnah, that occurred on 17 Tammuz, another five that occurred on 9 Av, and since that time, as we will soon see, and I imagine you're familiar with that too, there have been so many more that have happened that have occurred on either of these two dates or around this time of year, certainly during the month of Av. But aside from that, um, these dates seem to have been predestined by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be days of recurring tragedies. And we will get to that. So let's just take a look, um, beginning with the first source that I presented for you this morning. And that is the, the Mishnah in Mesechet Ta'anit, uh, which tells us as follows. I labeled the section the background. The Mishnah tells us, Five things, events, tragic events, obviously, as we will see, occur to our, uh, our ancestors on the 17th of Tammuz, and another five on, just three weeks later on Tisha B'Av. Now comes the list of Shiva Asar B'Tammuz. Number one, and this is what I meant by seeming to be predestined, Nishtabru HaLuchot. The luchot were smashed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu smashed the luchot. Excuse me, yes, through Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe smashed the, the luchot, Tabarit, when he came down from Har Sinai and saw the Egel HaZahab. I heard somebody say something? I said Moshe. Okay, thank you. Yes, right, and I corrected myself. Moshe um, broke or even smashed the luchot. There is, how could he do that? How could he do that? That's a very good question. It's an excellent question. We're also going to leave it for some other time. But what is interesting is that the, the uh, Mishnah does not use the active term and state outright that Moshe, or HaKadosh Baruch Hu through Moshe, smashed the Luchot, broke the Luchot, but rather the passive term, they were smashed. Now we know that this was in the aftermath of Moshe Rabbeinu realizing what was going on just below the mountain. There's a big discussion as to why this particular language is used. It may be off the market, maybe not, but it certainly suffices to say that it's not so much, or not necessarily only, the fact that we now remain with broken luchot, but rather the um, what lied in its wake. In other words, the worshiping, I think I got that backwards English-wise, but in terms of the, the, uh, the Egil HaZahav itself, in terms of the golden calf, and the very fact that B'nai Yisrael had sunk so low. So, I would imagine the focus is really on the Egel HaZahav, and that's why Nishtabru HaLuchot is written in the passive sense, because we're not focusing on the actively smashing, but it may really be both, because we're only left with the smithereens of the tablets themselves. Um, parenthetical, but I think important for us, is also to keep in mind that according to our tradition, from that point and on, or, yeah, from that point and on, either both together inside the Aron HaKodesh, 
or inside the Aron Kodesh were the original Luchot, and then just outside were, what I'm getting to is, the other set of Luchot, the first set of Luchot, the smashed set. So the broken pieces, the Shivrei Luchot, as they are referred to, um, were either inside or in a little, I guess, a little uh, door, a little some sort of, of add-on to the Aron Kodesh itself. In other words, B'nai Yisrael were to always be reminded of the fact of that, exactly, that we have these new Luchot, but don't forget, these Luchot replaced the Luchot that were smashed, and they were smashed on our account, on account of human behavior, and it clearly is intended to drive home a message to us, at least the way that I see it. That's the first tragic event. The second tragic event is, and by the way, this one and the fourth and fifth, not the first and third, are very, uh, they're, they're clouded in ambiguity. We do not know, nobody knows exactly what the Mishnah is referring to with number two, number four, and number five, and we'll see. We know what is being referred to, we don't know the date and to whom it's referring. One of them is, or the next one, number two, is Uvutal, here it says Batal, either way, Hatamid, the Korban Tamid, the daily Korban that was brought morning and evening, that was done away with. On Shiva Sarbatamuz. When? Was it during the first Beit Hamikdash? Was it during the second Beit Hamikdash? By whom? How did it happen? That will be our next source, and we will get to that. The city was, the walls of the city were breached. There is one opinion that the walls of the city were breached on the 17th of Tammuz, only in the second Beit Hamikdash, and at another date in Tammuz, and even that is subject to debate, but not necessarily, maybe the 9th of Tammuz, but on a different date, um, on a different date in Tammuz, but either way, the walls of the city were breached. Number four, the Saraf Apostomos. Now, who exactly was that? This is obviously just a Hebraization of the original Greek? Roman, that's subject to debate. Who was he? There is one opinion that Apostomos is none other than the Antiochus from the story of Hanukkah. That would place this particular tragedy of his burning a Sefer Torah at the time of the second Beit HaMikdash. There is another opinion that when Ezra returned to Eretz Israel, and this is written up quite famously in Sefer Ezra, I do not have the exact uh, citation um, offhand. I neglected, unfortunately, to, uh, to record it for you here on the sheet. And Ezra also placed a Sefer Torah in the Mikdash, and perhaps it's referring to that Sefer Torah. There are many other traditions as to who this individual is and to when this transpired. We simply don't know. And then number five, the who amad or the emid selem b'haychal. Now, how that word is read also can perhaps allude one way or the other to a different uh, time period. Emid would mean he stood. Well, who did? Who stood a selem? Who stood or erected an idol, as it were, in the heichal um, of the um, of the Beit Hamikdash in the sanctuary of the Beit Hamikdash? If the word is emid and there's no subject mentioned then obviously we know how language works, we know how writing works, we go back to the previous statement. The previous statement is talking about apostomos. That again would place it at some point during, right around the Hanukkah story. 
if apostemos is indeed um, is indeed Antiochus. There is another theory that, that, that apostemos is none other than Achashvei Rosh from the story of Purim, and there's another theory that he's somebody else. But either way, it may be apostemos himself that erected or set up a um, stood, a tselem, an, an idol in the Heichal. It may be somebody else. It may be a reference to the first Beit Hamikdash. We're not sure. But either way, either we're referring to idolatry being introduced to the Beit Hamikdash, or we're simply referring to um, just the very fact that there was a representation of Abu Dazra in the Mikdash, whether or not it was actually worshipped. Obviously, it's considered to be tragic enough that it was included in this Mishnah. And more important to keep in mind is, it seems, according to the way this Mishnah is written um, so succinctly, is that we're not fasting only, solely, because this is the beginning of the end of the Beit HaMikdash, the walls were breached. That is true, but that's not all. There are five, as of that time, more since then. But I believe the Mishnah is also telling us that it all began in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. And it seems to have been a date that as of that moment, if not before, but certainly as of that moment, and due to our behavior as, um, um, as to how, due to our behavior as opposed to what HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu were hoping from us is what set this day in motion as being the day that it became. Okay? Similarly, the Mishnah tells us that there are five tragedies on Tisha B'Av, as I mentioned. Number one, also going back to the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, just a little bit later, Nigzar al-Avotenu, it was decreed about or against our ancestors, against our forefathers and foremothers, Shelo Yikansula Aretz, that they, or at least that generation, what is known as the Dor Hamidbar, the generation of the desert, would not be permitted, would not be able to enter Eretz Israel. They were due to enter Eretz Israel, as we know, very shortly. In the aftermath, just to review, we're all aware of it, of course, the story of the Miraglim, the story of the spies. They came back, they convinced virtually the entirety of Am Yisrael, that it is not worth even attempting to enter Eretz Yisrael because we will be defeated, so what's the point? We'd rather stay here. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, fine, you got what you wished for, or be careful what you wished for because that's what you wished for, and now it's too late, now there's no turning back. That was number one. So that too may be the event which predestined this day to be one of tragedy for us. There are other Midrashim, that it goes back to Adam and Chava, etc., maybe to the time of Aham Avinu and other events that occurred during that time, but the basic idea seems to be that our, observation, our observing of Shiva Asar Tammuz and Tisha B'Av as days of mourning, and more than that, that these particular days were chosen by Kadosh Baruch Hu to become days of commemorating tragedy, and this entire three-week period, perhaps as well, um, all goes back to our behavior and that we unfortunately brought this about. That just as the Miraglim got what they wished for, in a sense, we got what we wished for. This is all our doing. That seems to be the theme of the Mishnah. That's number one. The second, the Charav Habayit, the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed by Rishonah Uvashniya, meaning the first Beit HaMikdash, and the second Beit HaMikdash. Those are tragedies two and three. Vinil thank you so much. Vinil Beitar, Beitar, the famous Beitar, that is the general area of Beitar today. By the way, there are people that refer to it or think it's called Beit Har. It's not, it's one word, there's no hay in the word, Beitar. The famous story of Beitar, which we will get to just to refresh our memories that occurred, that's number four. And then finally, 
V'nech Rasha at a later date, again, there is some discussion as to when exactly this refers to. Was it the date of the, thank you, was it the date of the Chorban itself, of the burning of the Mikdash? Is it referring to the tenth of the tenth of Av because the Beit Hamikdash continued to burn until the next day, or is this referring to a later time? And that is Nechrisha Ha'ir that the city itself was completely razed. Now remember, we're not talking about where we are located, where we're privileged to be here on Karen Ha'isod. We're not even talking about the entirety of what is referred to as the old city. We're talking about the tiny, tiny little Yerushalayim that existed at that time. But be that as it may, the entire mini city of Yerushalayim was completely razed. Okay. There is ambiguity, as I mentioned, regarding some of these events, so I thought it would be a good idea just to spend a little bit of time on two of them, on the most ambiguous, ambiguous of them. First, the Korban Tamid. And as I mentioned, there are different theories here. We're just going to go through one of them due to, of course, the, the, the time constraint that we have. We are, after all, talking about Bein HaMitzarim. We have our own Mitzarim, which is from 1145 until 1245, and not later, although I usually do go later. I will try not to. And so we're only going to bring in one source this morning as to what exactly the tragedy may be, um, the tragedy referred to is regarding the Korban Tamid, regarding the daily morning and evening uh, Korban. And so the Gemara in Masechet Bava Kama tells us as follows. Tanu Rabbanan. A fascinating story. Kishetzaru Beit Chashmonai When the Hasmonean families were fighting with one another and they weren't getting along with one another. It's important to keep in mind that there is a reason and maybe several reasons why we do not have in the Mishnah a tractate in Masechet Chanukah like we do Purim. And in case you're wondering, well, maybe it's because the halachot of Chanukah are so few and far between that there is very little to dedicate the whole Masachet. Pretty much the same thing can be said about Purim. Yeah, there are four mitzvot there with Chanukah only one. But most of Masachet Megillah is not dedicated to the reading of the Megillah and to the other mitzvot. The majority of it is discussing other things. And I presume it's because that the redactors of the Mishnah felt that Purim deserved its own Masachet, but we need to fill it. Why didn't they do that with Hanukkah? One reason, the main reason that's given, is that it is due to the fact that the victory of Hanukkah didn't last very long. A couple of hundred years later, the Mikdash was destroyed again. That may or may not be the reason. Another reason that's given is when the Hashmonaim, don't forget, Matityahu, his father, um, Yochanan, and the entire family, they were Kohanim. They did restore the Mikdash. But they then had the opportunity to restore the Mulucha, to restore the kingship, not to their Shevet. And they took it for themselves. They became, what's the expression? Um, power corrupts? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. That is correct. So unfortunately, the Hashmonaim seemed to have been, not seemed to have been, they were, they became absolutely corrupted. They let it go to their heads, and they basically usurped the kingship, not just restored the Kuna in the Midash. That might be another reason. This might be another reason. When we read of the story of Hanukkah, even in its greater detail in the book of the Maccabees, we get the impression that they were a family that, for, you know, for the most part, they got along with one another, like most families. We have infighting sometimes. What's left out is this and other stories where we see 
That, that certainly wasn't the case at a later date, post-Chanukah, and it perhaps never was the story. Perhaps this was a family that was always in strife, and it was always about brothers that were going at it against each other. And if that's the case, obviously, a victory that's brought about together by them is probably destined to fail eventually. It's certainly nothing to celebrate. It's certainly nothing to create a whole Masechet of Mishnah around. So now comes the story. Tanu Rabbanan, Kishetzaru Beit Chashmonai Zet Al Zet. When the, um, the, the Chashmonai family were fighting with each other. There were two, some say they were brothers, some say they were cousins, it doesn't really matter. Haya Horkunus Mibifnim, Horkunus was inside the wall. This is how they set it up. The Aristobulos, or however the name should be pronounced, was outside of the wall. In other words, to bring in the animals. By the way, another interpretation of is that when they themselves were in straits and they had no choice but to come up with such an arrangement. The problem is the following words don't really, uh, don't really um, uh, sit well with that particular take or translation because it says meaning amongst each other, together, or one against the other. They were pitted against each other. But every day, they, meaning those on the inside, would place into a basket and lower in the basket um, a certain amount of money. Then from the other side of the wall, they would bring up towards them, they would raise up for them the animals for the korban tamid, for the daily korbanot. That's how this went down every single day for a period of time. However, Hayasham talk about ambiguity, there were some elder elderly gentleman, or perhaps a sage of some sort, whatever it may be, there was an old man, let's say, sitting there in that area. It's also not clear. There's some discussion as to what that term means. This is all very clouded. But he was familiar with, maybe even he had expertise in, the chokhmat yivanit of the Greek wisdom, whatever that may be. Now, that may refer to how they worked and how they were trying to trip up Am Yisrael at the time. It may be referring to something else entirely. But in any event, whatever it's referring to, he got involved. Amar lahem. He said to them. Now, whom did he say this to? Our shiur this morning is not supposed to be devoted to this entire piece of Gemara. But I, what I'm trying to do is to point out to you how so much of our observance of Shiva Asar Tammuz and Tish Abba'av is really clouded in ambiguity. We don't really know exactly what transpired, even in a story that's told here in the Talmud about what may be relate, what may be referring to in the Mishnah, what may be referred to in the Mishnah as as a butal hatamid, the korban tamid was no longer able to be brought. Even that's somewhat ambiguous. I think there's a message, and I could be wrong, that's being sent here, or at least a message that I take from it. And you're welcome to take that message along with me if you like. And that is that maybe that's also what we're commemorating. The very fact that we are commemorating tragedies, and even by the time of the Mishnah, we no longer knew what those tragedies were. In this particular case, even the story, they couldn't get the story straight. Yeah, it's true, there are a lot of stories throughout the Talmud that were really gotten straight in there, many different versions. We don't really know this story, and we can learn all of the different takes on the story. We walk away by saying to our, with saying to ourselves, we're commemorating the fact that there was no longer a Korban Tamid and we don't even know why. And oh, we have a version of the story in the Gemara and we don't even really know what happened in that particular story. Maybe that's the greatest tragedy of all, that we forget our history. And if we forget our history, then what are we really worth as a people?
I'm just wondering if maybe there is this hidden message here that our Chazal, uh, the redactors of the Mishnah, the Gemara, were trying to get across to us. And even if they were not, I personally believe that it is an important takeaway in any event. So he said to them, to whom? Who knows? Who cares? That's really my point. Calls the man Shoskin Ba'avodah, as long as they, the Chashmonaim, and their family, the Kohanim, are involved in their worship service in the Mikdash, they'll never be given over to you, the Greeks. So it sounds like he's referring to the Greeks here. But anyway, there's another theory that you'll never win against your brother, that you're never going to succeed. If you want to bring your brother down, it's not going to happen. But either way, the next day, those on the inside lowered the, lowered the money, lowered the coins, perhaps as it were, or the bills, whatever it was, in this particular basket, in this particular box, and they were tripped up, they were tricked. And they were sent up a pig, which obviously could not be offered as a korban tamid. And that was the beginning of the end, for how long, we don't really know, of the offering, offering of the korban tamid in the Mikdash. The rest of the story, there's more, I only quoted this last piece here. Once that pig reached halfway up the wall, it stuck its nails into its claws into the wall. Whatever that may or may not signify, we'll leave that for a different time. This is an expression we see in the Talmud in, in several different places. Eretz Yisrael shook for a, an area of 400 parsa square. Obviously, that is simply meant to be a metaphor. It was considered to be such a tragedy that the earth shook because of this particular tragedy that took place. That may be what the Mishnah is referring to when it tells us, Butal HaTamid, that the Korban Tamid can no longer be offered. Okay? Any insights, questions, anything? I know that today's shiur is more straightforward than most of our shiurim, or most of my shiurim here at the OU, which usually involve a lot of thinking, critical thinking. That's not today. We're good? Okay. We're going to advance now to, to Betar and what happened in Betar. There are so many sources that one could go to. I went to the Rambam simply because he's quite succinct. What exactly happened in Betar, one of the five tragedies of Tisha B'Av? All we really need to do is to think of the Bar Kokhba revolt, and then we have the answer to our question. This is the last source on the first side. A great city, um, Betar Shema, its name was Betar, was, um, was captured. Tens of thousands of Jews. They had a great king. We'll leave that aside for now. And all of the greats assumed that he was the Mashiach. Who, of course, is the one that comes to mind that proclaimed that he was the Mashiach, that Bar Kokhba was the Mashiach? That would be none other than Rabbi Akiva. He fell at the hands of the Romans, and they were all killed. And that, of course, was the end of this myth. It's not clear as to whether or not the Rambam, who's quoting the Gemara, is trying to convey to us that maybe it was a result of our belief in the false Messiah. That's not clear. I don't even know that that's necessary for today. And it was a great tragedy on the level of, equated with, the destruction of the Beit Hamikdash itself. Because here, we're talking about tens of thousands of people being killed. 
I personally can only imagine, no, that's not fair, cannot imagine what this same author, whichever author of Chazal this is, that this same author, how he would have chosen his words if he were alive now, meaning just 70, 80 years ago during the time of the Shoah, how he would have chosen his words regarding the Shoah. If he can compare the murder of 10,000 or tens of thousands of Jews in one city in Beitar, what would he to the Beit Hamikdash, to the Korban Beit Hamikdash? What would he say about the final solution, about the Holocaust? I bolded these words in Rambam for you. That day, which had been predestined for days of travesty and tragedy. So the Rambam clearly is. I'm demonstrating that point for us that I mentioned earlier. Furthermore, Harash Tonus Ropus, he's referred to as Tienis, I believe it's pronounced Rufus in other places. Again, how it's pronounced in the original, I personally have no idea. If you do, please feel free to shed light on that. He destroyed the Heichal, he plowed or raised the Heichal, the Etzivab and its surrounding areas. The Kayei Mashin Emar, which of course um, brought to life, as it were, or to death, if I may, the, the prophecy in Sefer Miyahu of Tzion Sadete Charesh, that Tzion will be a city that is raised, perhaps referring to the fact that it already had been raised, since this is recorded in Sefer Yirmiyahu. So if it's true that these are days that were days that were predestined as days of tragedy, then um, the question becomes why, and I alluded to a part of my thoughts, you know, to some extent where I'm going with this personally this morning, there are many different takes on this and different ways of approaching it. Um, but let's go back again, because I mentioned it in passing to the first of each of these two, each of the events, each of the set of five. In other words, the first of the five of Shiva Asar B'Tammuz and the first of the five um, regarding uh, Tish Aba'av. The first of the five of Shiva Asar B'Tammuz, as I mentioned, is that the Luchot were smashed. The first of the, of the tragedy of Tish Aba'av is that it was decreed that the Dor Hamidbar, the generation of the desert, would not be able to enter Eretz Israel. As to what I wrote here for you on your sheet, on your source sheet, uh, your Daf Mikorot this morning, what do these events have in common? Well, they have many things in common. One thing that I mentioned, one theme, and it seems to be a recurring theme, is that it goes back to our behavior. We brought these days about as days of tragedy. I think it's important also to keep in mind that we all know that travesties, that tragedies do happen. Yes, to us, to Am Israel, to the Jews, but not just to us. They do happen. And yes, it's true, we tend to be, uh, we tend to, to focus on ourselves. That's human nature for one to focus on themselves as an individual or their family on a micro scale and on a macro scale to focus on one's particular people, with a capital P, I suppose, that's human nature to do. So we tend to focus on ourselves, on ourselves to focus on the Jewish people, to focus on Am Yisrael, and we recited at the Seder, of course, in every generation, there's always one, at least one, that seeks our demise, that's true today. It's always been true. In Chadash, there seems to be nothing new under the sun. It's important to keep in mind it's not just true for us, of course, it's true world over. Think of all of the different um, tragedies that are brewing, and some of them even coming to fruition at different times throughout the world. That's the way the world operates. That's. Okay. 
So that's exactly where I'm going to get to. That's exactly where I'm leading with this thought, and I appreciate it. So I don't, for those listening at a later date, I don't need to repeat this if they couldn't hear, if they couldn't hear you simply because that's where, where I'm going with this particular thought, but I, I believe you nailed it. At least you're thinking, you and I think alike. Brilliant minds think alike, and so do ours. <laughs> but I'm calling myself not brilliant, not you. In any event, um, there will be tragedies. There will always be people that are out to destroy other people. War seems to be an inevitability of being human. It's just what we sadly seem to do, or what some of us uh, do for a living, and think that that's the purpose that God created us. That will happen, but not necessarily to one people on the same date, or the same two dates, and the same time period, a three-week time period for so many years, even until this time today, as we will see of more current events, that if the Mishnah were written today, there would not have only been five for each of these days. There would have been several more. There's something about these days which seems to make it clear that the Rambam nailed it when he wrote the words that we saw before, Uvo bayom hamuchan anut, and on that day, which was predestined for a day of tragedy, because there's something about this particular day. The Rambam goes even further, and he writes as follows in the middle of your second page. Yesh sham yamim, there are days on the calendar, shekol Yisrael mitanim bahem, when all of B'nai Yisrael fast, or at least should, those that can, and those that are permitted halachically to do so, because of the tragedies that happen in those days. Why? This is the Rambam's uh, famous words regarding the whole purpose of fasting and engaging in other, um, in other rituals of mourning as we do on Tisha B'Av. Outside, of course, of Yom Kippur, which has a very different theme behind it, which has nothing to do with tragedy, and maybe even outside of Ta'anita Ster, as that's not one of the forts somewhat, that perhaps also doesn't necessarily fall under the rubric of why the fasting was created, but the Rambam would certainly say that our response is to be the same even on a day like, um, like, such as Ta'anita Ster. And that is, in order to awaken our hearts, to open the paths of teshuvah, the paths of repentance, of course, the paths of returning to a kadosh baruch Hu. To me, this is the Rambam's way of saying, remember how this all began. Remember how Shiva Sabr Tammuz began with Moshe Rabbeinu smashing the Luchot in the aftermath of our making the Egel. Remember that Shisha B'Av began as a day of tragedy, its genesis is the fact that we refused to enter Eretz Israel because we decided to listen to a select few to 10 men instead of listening to the other two. We brought it upon ourselves. Our only response is to show HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we are simply doing whatever we can to turn this all around. It's in our hands to do so. And the Rambam adds, Shebezichron devarim elu, that in recalling, in remembering these um, events, nashuv lehitiv, we will return to be better people, to do good. Shene'emar, as it says in Sefer Vayikra, of course it's not referring specifically to this, this is written in the aftermath of, or at the conclusion of the first tochacha, the first heavy rebuke recorded in the Sefer Torah in Parashat um, that the time will come, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, and he's stating, and I believe is a fact, there will be a time when people will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, 
And we will wake up one day and say, what in the world have we done? What are we continuing to do? And we need to change our ways if we would like to be deserving of Eretz Yisrael. That's the Rambam's take on it. Elsewhere, I did not record it. Um, I had a little bit of, um, I just had a, a, a little bit of, um, of rachamim, a little bit of mercy on the extra paper and, paint and, uh, and um, trees that are being wasted in all of the reproduction. That's not really true. I simply forgot to, I inadvertently forgot to include, uh, to include this next source, which is the main reason, the reason I did not include it. And that's that elsewhere, the Rambam also writes that when the Torah tells us of the different days in which, on which we blow the chatzot's throat, we blow the trumpets as a loose translation, whatever horns they had in those days. It would more be, of course, akin to what we call a bugle today, much more simple than today's trumpets. But in any event, when the trumpets, when the chatzot's throat were blown, and the Torah delineates them for us, so one of those occasions is when there are tragedies that occur. And the Rambam there also, others take issue with him. Ramban, I believe, is one who disagrees with him. But the Rambam writes that that is a call to teshuva. That is a call to repent. The chatzot that are blown on these days that commemorate tragedies are a call for us to return to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that's what it's all about. There, Rambam uses the term huchbelubo tzarot, meaning not there what I just mentioned, but in another source, Rambam uses the term huchbelubo tzarot, that many, many tragedies occurred on, that partic on these particular days. Similar to what he uses here in what I did record for you this morning, Yom Hamuchan Lepuranut. But there's something else that's fascinating. I, I bolded this for you, I actually placed this for you inside of a little box. Um, the Rambam records, and he gets this from the Gemara, but the Rambam records that in the second Beit HaMikdash, they continued to observe Tisha B'Av. So if anybody wonders why do we still observe Tisha B'Av, it's almost a, a, um, it's an obvious conclusion. It seems to be a, a Kalva Chomer of sorts, and that is that if during the second Beit HaMikdash they still observed the Shabbat for the first Beit HaMikdash that had been destroyed, even though it had been rebuilt in, not all, but almost all of its glory with the absence of perhaps five different physical um, pieces of the Mikdash, uh, five physical manifestations that were, existed in the first Mikdash, one of them being, for example, in Aaron Kodesh, and there are a few others as well. Rashi talks about this uh, on his take, quoting a Midrash, um, or the Gemara, I believe, on his take in a pasuk in uh, Sefer Chagai, that there were five items that were not there, and the Mishnah, excuse me, that, that Gemara that Rashi quotes also mentions that a Kadosh Baruch Hu's Shekhinah, that God's presence wasn't actually present in the second Beit HaMikdash, at least on the same level as the first Beit HaMikdash, whatever that may or may not mean. But at the same time, wait, we have our Beit HaMikdash. Okay, so it was lacking. So it wasn't quite the same as the first one. And we're still, yeah. They still commemorated Tish Av. Wow, there has to be a reason. I, I think what it really gets back to um, is everything that I said before, and that is the genesis of these days and what it is what it is precisely um, that gave them their place on the calendar as days that are predestined uh, for days of tragedy. It began with us, and only we can turn this around. Now, I recorded for you on your particular, on your source sheet, particular events that transpired 
on these particular days, some closer to Shiva Asar some closer to Tish Abav, and it's really quite fascinating. We're familiar with them. We're not going to go through all of them. This list is here for you. Honestly, I took this list right off of um, Wikipedia, and there are many other sources that record these, and even more tragic events since the time um, that this was put together. Many of them, of course, center around the Holocaust. There's something about this particular time period of year, if not the exact dates itself. I just want to switch now, um, switch gears to, to the future, to going forward, to what we can do. We mentioned doing Teshuvah, to what we can do, and just a little bit more than that. And so let's take a look at the Rambam. I'm just skipping a little bit here to the Rambam on, the, on your third um, side of the page. And I did mention this before. Mitzvata semin ha-Torah. There was a mitzvah from the Torah. Lizok to cry out to God and to, uh, to blow the trumpets. For all tragedies that come upon the congregation that come upon Am Yisrael. Amar, and he quotes here a pasuk. Kilomar, the middle of the next line, as if to say, any tragic event that occurs to you, cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu over them, and blow the Chatzot And then the Rambam writes, and I bolded it for you, and I mentioned this before as well, this matter is one of the ways of doing Teshuvah, or it is perhaps better, one is part of the process of doing Teshuvah. For when a tragedy comes, when a tragedy befalls us, and we or they cry and scream out over it, and they blow the Chatzot all will know everybody will recognize that this was brought about because of their, or if we can personalize this, let's be honest, because of our um, terrible um, behavior. People will see that we're crying out and that we are realizing something. Or it could mean that even if those that are crying out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, without necessarily realizing that we are the ones that are at fault here, others will see us and they will attribute it to the fact that we brought this about. And maybe that in turn will take that message to heart and wait, everybody's blaming the Jews? Obviously, most of what Jews are blamed for today and always have nothing to do with the Jews, but there are some things that do. And maybe it's something that we really need to, really need to take to heart, and that is what the Rambam seems to be saying here. So tragedy leads to tragedy. What the Rambam is telling us, and it's not just the Rambam, I think it's pretty obvious that it's not axiomatic, it's not given. It's up to us. We can and we must determine our future. And um, we're going to end our shiur um, in just a moment, but I just, before we conclude, just want to get back to, um, um, I would just would like to come full circle and get back with what I began this morning. Um, aside from changing our ways in terms of recognizing HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our lives, aside from changing our ways regarding Bein Adam and how we treat others, all of which is not only extremely important, but is at the, the, the height, the sea in Hebrew, Sinyud Aleph, of importance. In other words, we must focus on those, this time of those traits, not just this time of year, but all year long, of course. And we're told over and over again by the Nevi'im and others, time and time again, that what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants of us is really to be good people in the way that we treat each other, of course. 
But at the same time, we have to remember that the genesis of Tisha B'Av, the first of the tragedies, is that we unfortunately fell for the report of the Miraglim, the report of the Ten, as opposed to the report of Kalev and Yoshua, and we decided we are not entering Eretz Israel. So just to come full circle with where I began this morning, there is no better answer. I think there's no answer other than to return to Eretz Israel when we can. And again, for those of us that have chosen to do so, we're on the right track. More and more Jews are making Aliyah now than ever in our history. I'm sorry? I, I think from everywhere now, but... No, I do, and I appreciate it very much, and I just to repeat, if I may, from some of what you said, for those listening um, at a later date and, and the recorded versions, um, and that is that perhaps um, things began to really turn around with the 67 war. I mean, that's keeping it short. I think it's very true. When people saw that we were on the brink of annihilation. Yes, mamash, mamash. And um, the very fact that, uh, you know, when we heard, not me personally, of course, um, unlike you, I was not uh, 16, I was six, but when we, I was born in 1961, but when we, when we heard, um, okay, when we, either way, I'm not, I'm not asking your age, when we heard, the, when we heard um, the famous words, Ha-Habayit um, Viadenu, um, from the, uh, the mouth of Matigur, and the blowing of the Shafar at the Kotel by Rav Goren, then the, uh, the, uh, the, the chief rabbi of the Tzahal. Um, yeah, uh, it was, there, the, 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 obviously the magnitude of that nace and any other nace vis-a-vis uh, -vis Eretz Yisrael today, since that time, since 1948 actually, is simply, it's just mind-boggling. You're absolutely correct. And that may have been the beginning of the turnaround. But in any event, right now we are seeing ourselves living in a time where there is, there has never been greater, good morning, there has never been greater Aliyah. Never, in terms of just the, the sheer numbers and percentage of Jews that have chosen to pick up and to leave their, oftentimes, and not always, their comfortable lives behind, and to make Aliyah um, to Eretz Israel. I really do think that that is perhaps the, um, one of the, I should say, main messages of, of everything that we saw this morning, and that is that this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is waiting for. I brought these days, especially Tisha B'Av, upon you as days that are predestined for tragedy because of your refusal to accept my gift of Eretz Israel. How dare you? Oh, wait a minute. You're coming back now. Wow. And if that is indeed HaKadosh Baruch Hu's response, then we know that Aliyah, as we all have been blessed to do, those of us sitting in this room at least, we know that we, Am Yisrael, are on the right track. Okay. I just would like to close with a statement that's made by the Rambam. And it's important to keep in mind that the Rambam here bases his approach, his philosophy, as he so often does, on psukim that were first, uh, that were first stated by, first proclaimed by our Nivi'im in Tanakh. He didn't just create this in a vacuum. It's equally important to keep in mind that what we're about to see, the text with which we will end our shiur this morning, is no more axiomatic, is no more automatic, is no more of a given than the pieces we saw about the tragedy. These days do not have to remain days of tragedy, and what we're about to see, the option for these days becoming days of hope and days of Yom Tov, sadly, that also is not axiomatic. It's up to us to bring about what we're about to see here in the Rambam. And he writes as follows. 
Kol Hatsamot Ha'elu, all of these fast days, Atidim Libatel Limot Mashiach, are destined in the future to be nullified in Messianic times, whatever that may or may not refer to. Rabbi has his own ideas, others have their ideas as to what exactly Limot Mashiach may refer to, but at some point in time, these days are to be reversed. Velo od, and furthermore, not only will they be undone, will they be nullified, I use the term reverse, but more than that, in the future they will be days of Yom Tov. Yes? Right, so just for the sake of those listening to a recording at a later date who can't hear the audience members, just to repeat, um, the, the point was just made that, and thank you for that, that Rabbi Malamed records that, uh, that these days of Tzom were treated as a Yom Tov in the time in the Mikdash. Now at the same time, I mentioned before you, you walked in, and I'm so glad you did and joined us, if not only to be able to share that point with us, that, that B'nai Israel also observed Tisha B'Av during the time of the second Beit HaMikdash. Correct, correct. So they clearly had this, yeah, they were clearly sitting on the fence and there was this, uh, there was this paradoxical lives that they were living at that particular time, but you're right. It's an expression of hope at the same time that we can, we can never forget our past. And I believe that's exactly the message there. So thank you for sharing that with us. So the Rambam goes on, They are destined to be, they are predestined to be, just like they were for tragedy, to be days of joy, to be days of Yom Tov, quoting a pasuk from Sefer Zechariah, and with this we'll stop. So said Hashem, the Lord of hosts, these four fast days, Tzom HaRivii, the Tzom of the fourth month, that refers to Nisan Iyar Sivan Tammuz, that's the 17th of Tammuz, coming up just in a few days from now. Tzom HaChamishi, the fifth month, that's Tisha B'Av. Tzom HaShivii, that would be right after, or in the aftermath of Rosh Hashanah, Tzom Gedalia, for a different time. Vitzom HaAsiri, the fast of the 10th month, which is Asara B'Tevet, all in some way or another center around the Mikdash, or our demise. Yihyeh Levet Yehudah L'Sasson U'Simcha will be days of rejoicing and gladness, Uliyamim Tovim. Zechariah could have stopped there. He didn't. Look how he ends his prophetic words. You must love peace and you must love truth. Not only do I think that by definition these days of Yom Tov and all of the others will become, not only do I think that it's not necessarily axiomatic that it's up to us, I think that right here so perfectly and succinctly Zechariah said it himself. He said it himself. This is conditional. These, this idea of these days becoming days of Yom Tov, it's all up to us. But how? It's up to us, as I said, yes, of course, by us choosing to live in Eretz Yisrael. And hopefully more and more will continue to do so. But it also gets back to the famous stories of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, this story of the two that we saw this morning of the two brothers that were added against each other that tried to trip each other up from none other than the family of the Hasmoneans of the Hashmonaim that basically hated each other's guts and each one wanted to bring down the other's demise. 
these are days that we are to focus on more than we should focus on perhaps the rest of the year and hopefully carry over to the rest of the year as well. And that is how we treat one another in our interpersonal relations. As Echaya put it, if we make good on Zechariah's words, then these days will become days that have been transformed from days of tragedy, from days of tsar, to days of simcha. Okay, we'll conclude here for today. Have a good week.